How great is our God? Isn't he great? You may have noticed the verses our brother Gilson read to us really are an expression of how great our God is. And we're going to see that as we go through those verses and try to understand the purpose of each verse, each part of a verse, and see how that applies to the greatness of our God. This morning's message, coming from this passage, it's really a gospel message. Now, why would I give a gospel message in a local church of Bible-believing, born-again Christians? You recall when our brother Gilson taught on thinking biblically about the church, he said that the gatherings of the local church are primarily intended for the believer. But I'm going to talk about the gospel. How does that apply to the believer? There's a traditional hymn. I've mentioned it to you before, but the last verse of that traditional hymn, which is entitled, I Love to Tell the Story. It's the gospel story that the hymn writer is going to tell in the earlier verses. In the final verse, the hymn writer says this, I love to tell the story for those who know it best, the Christian. They seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest, the unsaved. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, will be the old, old story which I have loved so long. Scenes of glory, sing a new, new song, Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song unto the Lamb, saying, Thou art worthy to break, to, to take the scroll and to break the seals. For you did redeem by your blood people from every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue, and have made them to be priests to our God. There, the new song that's going to be sung to the Lamb is the gospel story. We'll sing it with new voices, new hearts, free from sin, a new greater appreciation and devotion, because faith will give way to sight, and we will see all that Christ accomplished for us in the gospel when he hung on the cross bearing the sins of the world. So this morning is a gospel message. If you're a believer in Christ, this message should do a couple things for you. One is we've been learning about sharing our faith multiple times over the last year plus, and we're going through it on Thursday evenings as well. This passage today these 10 verses from Ephesians, or at least the first nine, you can actually use to share the gospel with someone. Doesn't mean it's wrong to do the Roman's road or John's journey or anything else. And you, and you will see other verses will come in as we go through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But hopefully I can model for you a way that you can share the gospel, something we want to learn to do. And our brothers Roy and Jim have been teaching us 
about this for some time now. The second thing this ought to do for the believer in Christ, as we go through these verses, I hope and pray that the Spirit of God will touch your hearts and give you such a spirit, a heartfelt spirit of appreciation and gratitude for God's mercy and what he has done for every one of you who has trusted in the name of Christ for salvation. We're thinking biblically about who we are in Christ. This is the last message we'll have on who we are in Christ. We started out looking corporately at who the local church is in Christ, who the universal church is in Christ, and we've been looking now for three messages, this being the third, who you are individually in Christ. Here in this passage, when Paul says we, he means each individual, not collectively the local church. Going to need a little help here, please? Thank you. We saw first that individually we are dead, yet we are alive in Christ. We've seen and tied to that death and life is the fact that we are a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away, new things have come. Today, we are going to see that each and every one of us who is trusted in Jesus Christ are his workmanship. We are his workmanship in Christ. We're going to look at this term workmanship in a little bit. And we're going to examine this topic of we are his workmanship under these headings. Who we are. Just briefly mention who we are. But you can't really appreciate who we are without knowing who we were and how we lived. What God did and will do. There's still more God has planned for you. He has an eternity of glory planned for every one of you who has trusted in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see you, that we are his workmanship, but we also want to focus on how we became his workmanship, how God saved us, and then lastly, we'll zoom in on Verse 10, and being his workmanship, and examine that a little more deeply. What we are to do in light of the fact that we are his workmanship. So who we are as Christians. Verse 10, the last verse that we read together with our brother Gilson. For we are his workmanship. We, each one of us individually here, he's not talking about the local church, collectively, or the universal church. It's each individual believer. It wasn't just Paul. He didn't say, I am his workmanship, being a chosen apostle, a chosen herald or messenger of Jesus Christ, hand-picked for a particular job. But in truth, he's picked all of us for a particular job. We learned that last week, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are... His craftsmanship, think about that. His workmanship, his craftsmanship, we could use that. 
Think about some uh, antique that you might have seen. Maybe it was a mirror and the frame of the mirror. Yes, the, the glass doesn't look good anymore, but the wood around it or uh, some sort of uh, piece of furniture, the way they used to make it, instead of just slapping it together and then putting some stick on fake wood, they, they would use the finest wood. They would use the best pieces of that finest wood, carefully select them and choose them for that job. And after they put it together, then they would do all sorts of ornate scroll work, leaves and berries or whatever it would happen to be, real craftsmanship, real workmanship. But as we're going to see, God didn't choose the finest African mahogany for this piece. God went to the discard pile. The rotten wood. The wood with green on it. With knots in it. Broken pieces. Ragged pieces. Uneven pieces. This is what God turned into his craftsmanship, his beautiful work of art. And that's every one of you. Perhaps the uh, idea of a finishing carpenter it, it, it isn't getting that truth across. Have you ever seen a beautiful tapestry, an ancient tapestry, all the colors, and, and how clear the picture is just from threads? If you look on the back, it's a mess. Only the front shows the beauty. God is, is weaving a tapestry out of your life. Every thread is some incident, some circumstance, some situation, some decision you needed to make in your life. And he's not done yet. The picture isn't complete. It's like we're looking at the back, but one day when eternity dawns and we see Christ face to face, we will see the front of that tapestry. And our testimony will be, it is perfect. There is not one thread out of place. You are his workmanship. We are his work, workmanship, his craftsmanship in Christ Jesus. And we can't fully appreciate what we are, who we are in Christ, unless we remind ourselves of who we were and how we lived. We were not that best piece of African mahogany. We were the discard pile, each and every one of us. What we were, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. When you die, without embalming, you rot. You decay. That's what we were. We were dead. We had no desire for God. The dead don't do anything. We were dead in 
our trespasses and sins. When you see the word in often in the New Testament, and particularly in this passage, there's a couple of ways you can try to look at it, try to imagine it to get the impact of that little word across. You can think about it as a stew, a soup, but not an edible one in this verse. And we were just steeped in it, like putting a tea bag into the hot water. We were stuck in a really hot, terrible mess. We were in there. We were surrounded in there. We were over our heads in there. We were dead in that. But sometimes that word in can also convey the idea of by or by means of our trespasses and sins were the reason we were dead. What we loved killed us. What we wanted killed us. Our trespasses. Trespasses implies in this particular verse a transgression, going against something, a violation of God's moral law. Sin, that original Greek word that Paul wrote there, has to do with falling short of a mark. We have fallen short of God's glory. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One of the oldest pieces of Greek literature, Homer's Iliad, has an archer from the wall of Troy knocking an arrow, drawing it back, and shooting it towards the Greeks. And it lands in the sand by the foot of one of the Greek soldiers. He missed the mark. And that word that's translated sin is the word that's used. Missing the mark of God's glory. God's glory is his holiness Isaiah 6 tells us, holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. His glory comes from his holiness. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And how did we live? In which we formally walked in our trespasses and sins, formally. The true believer in Christ doesn't walk in those trespasses and sins any longer. It's not the course of their life. It's not the direction of their life. It's not where they want to go. It's not the path they want to take. Sure, none of us are perfect. We all sin, but we don't plot out that course in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Not the planet Earth, not the rock, this evil world system that's rebelled against God and Christ, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. What's so bad about the world? I like it here. Well, look at the rest of the verse. Who's directing the course of this world? Who's in charge of the spirit of this world system? According to the prince of the power of the air, he's the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Rebellious disobedience against God. That's how we lived before we were saved. In rebellion against God. We lived according to Satan's dictates. 
Paul writes to Timothy that, that Satan has taken the unsaved captive to do his will. That's all those who are dead in trespasses and sins can do. They are captive by Satan to do his will. But, but wait, Paul, you know, I did something good once. Yes, why did you do it? For God's glory or for praise for men? What did you get out of it? Did you at least feel good about yourself and that's why you did it? Or did you do it for God's glory? Paul writes, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. What we live for, that was how we lived, according to Satan's dictates. What was it about those? What did we live for? Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh and of our mind, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's what we live for, our lusts, our inordinate desires. We indulge those. We didn't deny ourselves anything. We sinned all we wanted. This is the picture God is painting of what we were. Every one of us is worse than we thought we were. As believers in Christ, we understand that now, that we were spiritual paupers. We had nothing to offer to God, nor did we desire to. We indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind. What were the consequences of who we were and what we lived for? We were by nature children of wrath. God's judgment would have fallen on us in the state that we were in. And anyone in that state who has not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, you're not okay with God. God is not okay with you. You are a child of his wrath. His wrath and judgment will one day come upon you unless you repent. Change your mind about who you are about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross when he bore the sins of the world in his body, shed his blood and died to provide the one and only way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ said that. Christianity is exclusive because Christ made it exclusive. There is no other way, there is no other name that we must call on to be saved. Before we were saved, all we could look forward to was God's wrath and judgment. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's really bad news. You know, some of you are thinking, bummer, preacher, you're bringing me down. You're bringing me down. But wait. There's another side to this story. It's what God did and then also what he will do. First, let's look at what he did. But God did something to change everything. But God. Oh, I love those two words. You you go through those first three verses. Read them. And when you get to verse four, but God, but God, but God. Not man, not me, not you, but God made us. But God, God did something. 
John makes it very clear. We love God because he first loved us. God did something to change everything. What did he do? He made us alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you and I alive in Christ. He breathed life into us. Isn't it suspenseful if you watch some sort of drama on TV, a, a, a medical show, or if you've actually seen it or done it in real life? Breathing life into someone. I was a lifeguard as a teenager, and I had to do that more than once. Breathe life into someone that I had to pull out of the water. God breathed eternal life, not just temporal life. God's breath, my breath could only bring them back using the air God created. When God breathes, he gives eternal life. God made us alive, but not in a vacuum. Something had to happen. There was a way God made us alive, together with Christ. Right there in those words, together with Christ, you have the gospel. You have the cross of Jesus Christ. He didn't make us alive together with angels. He didn't make us alive together with heaven. No, it's Christ. Just as Christ was made alive. And when was Christ made alive? The resurrection. After he hung on the cross. Right there in those words, you have the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how you bring that aspect of the gospel in using these verses. He made us alive together with Christ. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. We will inherit nothing. We will receive nothing. God, what he did to change everything was that he made us alive with Christ. Only with Christ is there life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those are only found in him, resurrection and life. Why God changed everything? Why would he do this? We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were that rotten piece of wood, broken wood, on the discard pile that no man could do anything with. But God did it, and why did he do it? Because he's rich in mercy. He, he's more than a millionaire, a billionaire. There is no end. It's infinite richness of his mercy because our sin was an infinite offense against him. Him being perfectly holy and we being totally unholy. God was rich in mercy. That's why he did it. He didn't look down and see, oh, you know, I like Paul. He's so cute and adorable. Oh, what, a, what a nice little tyke. What a, what a cute little sinner he is. God didn't look down and see that. God saw me on the discard pile, and he was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. 
But God demonstrated his own love toward us, Paul writes in Romans 5. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. He who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul would write in Romans. He had this great love for us. The most well-known verse of the Bible, you see it at every football game, don't you? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. We sang that, his one and only son to save us that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not be a child of wrath, as we read, should not perish but have eternal life. Why God changed everything is because he had mercy and love. He had mercy because of the love in his heart. We love him because he first loved us. When did God change everything? After we started to turn our life around? No. But God, even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's when he did this, when we were his enemies. Paul says in Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, made peace with, reconciled through the death of his son, through the death of Jesus. While we were enemies, shaking our fist in rebellion against him, shouting out like that crowd, in Pilate's judgment hall, I'll not have this man rule over me. I have no king but myself. That's when God, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What else did God do besides making us alive together with Christ? He raised us up with him, spiritually speaking, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your salvation is secure. You are, in a spiritual sense, seated with Christ in heaven. Imagine that. Imagine that. This is what God has done, even when we were dead. He made us alive. He raised us up to walk in newness of life, in victory, and seated us with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. You who have trusted in him are seated there with him. I mean, meditate on this. Think about this. If this does not produce gratitude and appreciation in your heart, all that Christ and God have done for you as a believer in Christ, I, I don't know what will. Pray about it. Meditate on it. It, it, this is just so moving to me, those words, but God. As, as I was prayerfully going through this slideshow this morning, I was in tears. I, I'm glad I'm not now because I wouldn't be able to speak to you. But this is not just your, 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 your wimpy preacher up here who gets moved to tears by God's word. Uh, there, there's a dear brother in this in this local church. I, I admire him so much. He is so devoted. He is a man's man. He is a, the toughest guy I know. And he told me a few weeks ago, 
when I started to break down here. He spoke to me the following week and he said, when, I, when he thinks about God's love and mercy for him, so much gratitude and appreciation comes up in his heart that sometimes he weeps. This tough guy weeps in thankfulness and gratitude to God. It's not just a wimpy preacher. Meditate on these truths. Think about them. Love your Savior. Let all that he did for you move you. Why else did God do this? It's not enough that he saved us and he changed and redirected the course of your life and mine. He did it so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us. But wait, there's more. Can you think about this? In the ages to come, he is going to show you off to all the heavenly host. This is my workmanship. This is my craftsmanship. This is my beloved child. I gave my one and only son for you is what he's going to say. He's going to show us off. You know how so many people are? They want to show off what they prize the most. It could be some guy with his pickup truck, a new mother with her baby. Oh, the most beautiful baby she's ever seen. You know, and you just want to show off. Some people like to show off their clothes. Uh, something new that they purchased. Uh, their house, whatever it happens to be. There is that sinful pride in all of us that to some degree or another, it's a rare person who doesn't like to show something off. God is going to show you off throughout eternity. And we will worship the Son and cast our crowns before him. In the ages to come, he will show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us, toward you, throughout eternity. He'll show it again and again. This is unbelievable. I, I, I can't imagine this. Why would there ever be anything to show me off when there's Christ? I don't want to be shown off. It's Christ and Christ alone who'll get the glory. But Christ will get the glory anyways because why would any of us ever be there? It's because Christ bore our sins in his body, paid the penalty for our sins. He will end up getting all the glory. How did God save us? God himself saved us. You and I did nothing. God made us alive. That is active. He made us alive. We were passive. We did nothing but believe the gospel message. As God convicted us, gave us the gift of repentance, and we believe the gospel. You have been saved. That's passive. Have been. You've been untied. If you were tied up and someone unties you, you didn't do anything to get those knots undone. You couldn't. Someone else untied you. God made us alive. We have been saved. God himself saved us. God saved us by grace, but God made us alive 
by grace you have been saved. He saved us by grace. Uh, uh, now, as Christians, we're all familiar with this word grace. But I remember 20 years old, a college student, um, not the smartest uh, you know, person, not the sharpest tool in the shed by any means. I didn't understand what grace was. It's not a word that was in my vocabulary. I thought it was a girl's name. That was it. Grace just means an undeserved act of kindness. It means unmerited, unearned favor. In other words, grace means we did nothing to merit or earn whatever it is that is given to us. And here it's salvation. He made us alive by an undeserved act of kindness. You have been saved. He saved us by grace. He saved us only by grace. He repeats it in verse 5. He said, for by grace you have been saved. Verse 8, he repeats it. This is a verily, verily, a truly, truly moment. An amen, amen moment. Paul repeats it again. For by grace... You have been saved. He saved us only by grace. If you missed it the first time in verse 5, Paul repeats it in verse 8. It's only by grace. There is no other way. He saved us through faith. For by grace you have been saved through or by means of faith. And that not of yourselves. The faith that produces salvation is not from us. That salvation doesn't come from us. It's a gift from God, as we'll see. He saved us as a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It didn't come from us. Salvation didn't come from us. Even the faith to believe, we exercise it. But God convicts us by means of the Holy Spirit through the gospel message. And we see ourselves as hell-deserving sinners, deserving of God's eternal wrath and judgment. But he saves us as a gift. It is the gift of God. Paul says the same thing in Romans 6.23, doesn't he? For the wages, a wage is what you earn for doing something. At the end of the week or every couple of weeks or twice a month or end of the month, those who work get paid. They earn a wage. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, a wage you earn, a gift is given freely. You don't pay for a gift. It is the gift of God. God saved us as a gift. God saved us all by himself. He didn't need us to whisper suggestions on how he ought to save us. He didn't need us to do anything. God saved us all by himself. It's not as a result of works. It's so clear there. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. God saved us all by himself. Why? So that no one should boast. There is no boasting before God. We've earned nothing from him. What we deserved was his wrath and judgment. 
No one should ever cry out for justice from God. The justice from God is that we deserve eternity in hell. Instead, he gave us a gift by grace, through grace. It was a gracious gift, an undeserved gift, an unexpected gift. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For The reason he did it all and we did nothing is so that no one may boast before God. Every voice is silenced. Every voice is humbled. Every heart of every believer should be humbled with gratitude and appreciation. There is no boasting. There's only thanksgiving to him for all that he's done. God saved us all by himself. He didn't need us to save ourselves. In light of all this grace, this great gift, in light of what we were, dead, but God made us alive, what are we to do? From this moment forward, from the moment we were saved forward, or now, even moving forward, what are we to do? What are we to do is based upon who we are in Christ, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God has created us in Christ, and he's working on us. He's finishing the tapestry of your life, that beautiful tapestry. He's putting in the ornate scroll work in that beautiful cabinet or that mirror frame. He's working on us. Is God a shoddy craftsman? Remember, he's going to put his name on us. His name is on us. What does God stand for? What does Christ's name stand for? It stands for perfection and holiness and beauty and love and mercy. That's the workmanship. He's turning us into Jesus Christ. Not into a God, but in character. So that in any and every circumstance and situation, we will think and speak and do as Christ himself would. What we do is based on who we are in Christ. We are God's workmanship. He's causing us to mirror the image of Jesus Christ. What we do is based upon God's intention for you. We are created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. Notice here, verses 8 and 9 said, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Notice where the works come in. Not in verses 8 and 9 where there's salvation. The works come in in verse 10. We are created for good works. After we're saved, the good works come into play. Good works are not the means of obtaining salvation. Grace through faith is. Works are the evidence of salvation. This is what God created us for. His intention was not that we live for ourselves. In fact, Paul says that you no longer live for yourselves, but for him who died and rose again. We should be living for God. We are created for good works. 
We're not created to continue in sin. We're not created to glorify ourselves. We're created for good works. That is God's intention for each one of us, to evidence our salvation with good works. What you do is part of God's plan. God prepared these works beforehand. From eternity past, God contemplated every good deed, every good work that you and I would do to evidence his salvation in us. Every good work that we would do that would be similar in character and nature and motive as Jesus Christ would do. He prepared these from eternity past. Salvation was not an afterthought with God. The good works that he wants us to engage in are not an afterthought with God. He prepared them beforehand from eternity past. What you do is based upon God's purpose for you as his workmanship. His purpose is that, so that, that's the purpose, we should walk in them. It's not just, oh, there's good works out there. Oh, look at that good work, look at that good work. No, we should actually walk in them. We should actually do them. We should actually conduct ourselves in them. We should engage in those good works. That's God's purpose for you and I in this passage. Is last week we were ambassadors to preach the gospel message. Today, we live the gospel message in this passage. Sure, we can use this passage to tell others, but this passage is addressed to believers who are his craftsmanship, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. I know many of you are familiar with the Bible. How many Gospels are there? Most of you say four, but you know, I, I, I have something else in mind. There's five Gospels. I'm not talking about the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Jude or the Gospel of Peter, any of these fake Gospels that some ancient people wrote hundreds of years after Christ's death. No, five Gospels. There's the fifth Gospel. You want to know what the fifth Gospel is? You and I are the fifth Gospel. You are writing a Gospel, a chapter a day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. People read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is that Gospel according to you? What Gospel are we writing? Is it really good news? Do we walk in those good works? So today, what are you thinking? Are you thinking biblically about who you are in Christ, that you are his workmanship? Imagine that. God has not given up on you. You may feel like you have fulfilled all that God wanted for you as a believer, but he hasn't given up. Paul didn't write, you were his workmanship. No, you still are. God still wants to create beauty in your life. Are you thinking biblically about who you are in Christ? Today, will you begin to see God's purpose in making you alive in Christ? His purpose is so that you can be his workmanship and that you will bring him glory. 
by engaging in those good works? Will you walk in those good works that God has planned? Do we ever think it's right to try to foil the plans of God? I mean, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Not for calamity, but to give you a future and a hope. This is God's plans. It's good plans for you and I. Will you begin to walk in the good works that God planned for you to walk in? They're to give us a future and a hope. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, how powerful your word is. How wonderful your word is. Oh, Lord, it boggles our minds. It, it, it touches our hearts that you would do so much for us. And you ask so little in return. You gave all. You gave us your beloved son, Lord Jesus. You gave all. You didn't count your life precious, but you laid it down for us. And we are eternally grateful. Oh, Lord, would you be pleased to touch our hearts, to give us a spirit of gratitude and appreciation. Would you give us also the desire to walk in these good works that you prepared beforehand? We confess to you that sometimes we don't have that desire, and that's to our own shame. We confess it to you. We would not hide it. Indeed, we cannot, for you look upon our heart. You know the truth. And so, dear God, we pray that you would continue to craft us, to mold us and make us after your will, reproducing us the character of your beloved Son as we walk in the good works that you have prepared beforehand. And we hope and pray that our lives will glorify you and you alone. We ask this for your name's sake.